0: ancient word. Does anyone remember what it was? Oh, you're just earning brownie points with me this morning. With the added exclamation point. Teshuvah! Now, help me out. You know, I've got a short-term memory. Uh, what does teshuva mean? There was the... There, oh, that's a good one, yeah. Uh, Teshuvah takes seriously two things. The beginning of the word tov means good in Hebrew. And the second part of it, shub, means to return. Uh, Or maybe uh, return. Yeah, yeah, return, return. Uh, Teshuvah is a good returning. And in the Bible, often it gets translated as repent. But what it's really getting at is this idea that takes seriously both your essential goodness and your brokenness that we are people who are good and broken at the same time. you, You remember that? Okay. Now, I recognize that when we talk about good and we talk about perfect, sometimes there can be a bit of a tension there between good and perfect, so that's what I want to talk about a bit this morning. And I'm going to try my best to, i want to engage you a little bit, and we're going to have a couple different illustrations, so just stick with me. Uh, we're going to talk about good and perfect. It's not necessarily good versus perfect right now, but we're just, we're just getting curious about these two words, good and perfect. So let me give you an overview of what I'm going to talk about this morning. So I see, I'm going to talk about acorns, rotten cherry trees, perfect chairs, yoga, what happens if I punch Lee, and success. Those are like the worst Jeopardy categories ever. <laughs> so first, um, my yard is filled with these. I don't know if you can see this. This, my friends, is an annoying little acorn. Uh, the, the tree hangs right over my roof and uh, it's like it's hailing outside nonstop, just thud, doom, 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 right? My dog hates it, um, always letting me know that there are acorns outside. Um, the, the word that's uh, used in the Bible for perfection, the word perfect appears often in the Bible, actually. Uh, it's rooted in this word, uh, telos. And telos means um, form or purpose or function. It specifically means something that has gone through all of its stages, okay? That's what we're getting at when we talk about telos. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that um, some of the earliest thinkers and philosophers writing about perfection loved the image of an acorn. Because acorns have one purpose in life. It's to become an oak tree. An acorn does not desire to be anything else. And in this little tiny acorn is everything it needs to become an oak tree. Now, what's interesting, though, is that I can hold up this little acorn and say simultaneously that it has everything it needs to become an oak tree. Yes? Or no? So this is an imperfect acorn. No. You guys, you're confusing me. You see, there is this there is this rub, and I'm just inviting you to be curious about this, where something can simultaneously have everything that it needs, and also not. That this acorn can simultaneously be a perfect acorn. And yet it could take how long in order for it to reach perfection? A hundred years? It's interesting, this difference between perfection and perfection. And when we talk about that word perfection, and often when we hear it, and especially in spiritual or religious senses, we are often critical. Are you tracking with me? We hear that word perfection in scripture, and we go, ugh, I hate that verse. And yet at the same time, we we show so much flexibility with the acorn. I'm not walking around my yard going, you're an imperfect acorn, you're an imperfect acorn, you're a failure of an acorn. I have a loosed understanding of what perfection means. It doesn't mean that I'm slacking on perfection. It means that perhaps perfection means more, or is trying to hint at something more than I've often just bound it to be. This sort of static understanding of perfection. So maybe just take a minute and, and just think inside yourself, what do you mean when you say, perfect? It's fascinating that you can see your spouse in a given moment and say, you look absolutely perfect. And you can mean it, while also recognizing that they have wrinkles. You know, there was a story a couple of years ago about someone who got plastic surgery to get all of the perfect features that are um, desired in a human being. Uh, It was, I can't, it was like 260 something intense plastic surgeries. And the person died. The the body couldn't handle that. And the frightening thing was they had a a picture of this person after the 267 plastic surgeries and it it was almost frightening. And yet, according to the research that they were working off of, it was perfection. It was the perfect jaw and the perfect chin, perfect nose, perfect eyes. Okay, so perfect and perfect. So what are we talking about here? So um, the earliest thinkers would note how that acorn can simultaneously be perfect and imperfect or just maybe not yet. If telos is talking about something that's working towards stages of completion, the other way that they would describe what's going on here is the word kalos. This is another way to interpret perfect, and kalos means good and beautiful. Okay? These are not verse each other, not good versus perfect, but we're just talking about maybe something that has to go through its stages and also something that is good and beautiful, even if it's not a complete oak tree yet. So this is interesting because uh, in my yard, I have this big old tree with acorns, and I also have what I could have sworn was a dead cherry tree. Right in the middle of this tree were multiple holes drilled through it. Typical test to see like, well, it's dead, right? You can see right through the tree. When I first arrived here a year or so ago, one of the first things I wanted to do was chop down that cherry tree. I don't need this dead thing in my yard. I got tired, and I didn't chop it down. And during the summer, it started to bloom. And then it started to grow. Now, it still looks absolutely wretched. (laughs) And yet, this rotten cherry tree produced hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rich red cherries perfect cherry tree? By no means. A perfect cherry tree? Yeah. You know, Jesus talks about things similar often. He likes to use the image of trees and fruit. And there's one part in Luke 3 where he says, listen, you can have a perfect tree, but if it's not producing good fruit, it's fit for nothing other than the fire. You see, there's something about the good and the beautiful that matters here. Uh, let, let me uh, illustrate this a little bit more. Uh, where's my friend JP? JP, why don't you come up here and help me? I, I want to talk a little bit just about uh, what, what do we mean when we're talking about perfect and function and form. Uh, this is JP. JP, say hello to the entire congregation, right? What a, what a put you on the spot. Now, JP, you don't know this about me, but um, I'm an expert uh, uh, craftsman. Um, no laughs, all right? Um, so here's what I want to do. Uh, I'm going to, you're really lucky today. Um, I'm going to build you a chair, okay? But I was thinking about it this morning, and, uh, and I, I, like I said, I've got short-term memory, and I, I couldn't remember what the essential things were that you'd need for a chair. So what, 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 what all do I need for a, a chair? Maybe some wood. Okay. What, some glue. Well, that could also be like a cabinet. What do I... That's true. Uh, so I need like some... Can you YouTube it? <laughs> uh, I need uh, some legs, right? Uh, back? A back, uh, you know, you're getting picky. Uh, something to sit on. So. Okay, let's see here. Give me a second. Okay, here. Why don't you help me out? You can be my apprentice. Okay, you're gonna learn something. Okay. Right. Uh, let's see here. I've got. Okay. Uh, let's see. I've got this great, I've got this great base here. This is gonna be so comfortable. I mean, it's just. Let's see. He does this before. Oh, all the time. I had a job in middle school making cardboard chairs. Um, <laughs> let's see here. See that I'm, I work quickly. Um, yeah, let's see here. It takes a little bit of graft. Yeah. No, is this for a dollar? Is this for an adult? Does it matter? Uh, I guess not. <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, here, why don't you tear off a couple pieces of that? Uh, that's an expert tool for uh, craftsmanship. Yeah, that's a small piece, but I'll make do. Right? Let's see. Okay. There you go. Wow, you need some help with your tape skills. Okay. Rip it off for me, yeah. I'm not gonna do it all for you. You have to learn somehow. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay, hang on a sec. Alright, I think we're looking pretty good actually. Okay. Alright, JP, my friend. Feast your eyes on this bad boy. This is uh that is a perfect chair. Right? Go ahead, take a seat. Let me know how it is. Okay. Oh here, hang on a second. I've got a cushion for you. I don't know if oh. that's gonna help or not, but yeah, just uh there you go. You're too thoughtful. Yeah. Well I mean oh. oh. Do what happened to your chair? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> it was a perfect chair. until uh, I sat on it. Oh. So there's a difference? Yeah. Alright. Alright, thanks, JP. Get out of here. Okay, so fascinating how I can build an absolutely perfect chair. Yes? Oh oh come on. Did it have four legs? Did it have a place to sit? Did it have a wonderful place to rest your back? I even included a cushion. What more do you need for a perfect chair? There's a difference between something uh, having its sort of uh, perfect function, right? That this has its four legs, its place to sit, a backrest, even a little blue cushion, and yet it is also missing an essential element, something that the Bible would call the good and the beautiful, right? That it's it's trying to go beyond just having those basic things that you need. And sometimes, when we focus on those basic elements as perfection, we end up missing the good and the beautiful altogether. Are you tracking with me? Okay, Let me. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, does anyone here practice yoga? Look at that! Fascinating. No one really, no one really does that. Yes. There we go, we got one. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have uh, bad asthma, and one of the things that has always helped me kind of stay healthy is practicing yoga. Um, Now, if if you're familiar with yoga, I hope you're loosely familiar with yoga, right? Uh, It's like uh, wonderful stretching, all right? You have specific positions. Now, the thing is, if I set out to do yoga, right, and I get my mat down, and it's the perfect mat, and I've like researched it online for months and months and months, uh, I had it custom fit to my hands and my palms and my feet, Why are you laughing? (laughs) And I print out every single pose that I'm going to try to do in yoga. And I just surround my room with all these pictures of all these poses. And simultaneously, because I don't want to leave anything to chance, I've got a video playing in the background with a yoga teacher explaining what I'm going to do. Right? There's no way I'm going to mess this up. Right? And then I start to do my positions, and I'm just so critical of myself. I I need to hit the perfect pose. I need to hit the perfect um, form when you do that, and especially in something like yoga, which is trying to invite you into a deeper presence than just reaching over to pick up your car keys, you miss what's going on. You see, I can be so focused on trying to do this perfectly that I miss the invitation for the good and the beautiful. Are you tracking with me? you can apply that to a handful of different things. Perhaps there's something that you've been so focused on, so concerned about, that you, 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 you researched high and low, you knew every single detail about it, and yet, we lose sight of the invitation to see the good and the beautiful in it. Uh, let me, uh, where's my friend Lee? Lee, 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 come, here, come up here, Lee, right? Uh, yeah, well, come on here. <laughs> When I, when I asked Lee if he could help me, and he said, don't worry, I trust you. And I said, well, let's find out about that. Um, all right, Lee, see, so here's what I'm wondering, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> we're friends, right? Yes, okay. we were. Um, right? So when I think of um, perfection, and again, I, I'm not... I'm not talking about good versus perfect. I'm trying to talk about similar to teshuva, something that, is, that embraces both the good uh, and the things that are broken. So I'm talking about, okay, uh, how do we embrace both uh, a, a deeper sense of perfection and an awareness of the good and the beautiful? Well, one of the things that we struggle with when we think about perfection is we think about it in such a finite state, right? And often this is used to uh, criticize us or criticize others. perhaps many of you over the last couple of years have thought, wow, our our world is so far from perfect. Now, you know that if that's the point you focus on, just trying to get to utopia, it may very well never happen. You see, what matters perhaps uh, versus worrying about this end perfection is what I'm going to call moment by moment Perfection. So here's, here's the thing. Lee and I are good friends, and I haven't punched you yet today. And um, at any given moment, you see, I have an opportunity to do something that is uh, good and beautiful, or I'm just going to say not good and beautiful. Now, I'm not—there <laughs> you go. Okay. <laughs> so let's say, I, just out of nowhere, I just slugly right in the face, right? Totally catches him off guard, and definitely not a good and beautiful thing to do in that minute, right? In that moment. It was a total sucker punch, right? And then Lee, who is just caught off guard and is wounded by the way I've treated our friendship, is just so hurt, and then Lee punches me back, and, and you swear at me, and then I spit at you, right? What? This is going <laughs> wrong direction. Right, right. I'm sorry. Now, we've, <laughs> we've moment by moment missed these opportunities. To recognize, to be aware of, and to practice the good and the beautiful. So, does that mean that from now on, until all of eternity, Lee and I have failed in our friendship? That Lee will never be a good person? That I will always be a broken failure, the guy type of guy that sucker punches people in church? No. You understand because I have another moment. You see, I can do something like punch Lee, and in that moment, I did not do what is good and what is beautiful. But it is always followed up by another moment. And in that moment, I can decide right now to do something that is good and beautiful. So even if I did wound you deeply, even if I said something that hurt, even if I was uh, so far from um, embodying the sort of perfect, perfect love that I want, even if I mess up, there is always that moment of what maybe last week we called a teshuva, where I can return to what is good and what is beautiful. And so then I, you know, I give you a hug and say, thank you so much. You're and you, yeah, Thank you, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm repenting and... The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, talked a lot about perfection But we do ourselves a disservice when we don't complete that sentence. Wesley talked about perfect love. That's what mattered. It wasn't this way of saying, I'm the type of person that never uh, rear-ends someone, that never accidentally swears, that doesn't, you know, I don't do anything wrong. It was a call, an invitation, to be perfect in love, moment by moment. And you see, the truth is that regularly we miss those invitations. Uh, we are busy, we're tired, and we're stressed, we're angry, we're frustrated, we're holding on to things, and sometimes we don't do what is good and what is beautiful. But the great thing about teshuva, and the great thing, I would say, about the gospel, is that it takes seriously both your ability to always return to good and to do so while maintaining your brokenness. Because even if you've done something that has wounded others, or wounded yourself. There is always a moment, moment by moment, to choose what is good and what is beautiful. So, the question is, what does all this mean for us? You know, over the last couple of weeks, we have been going through the Gospel of Luke as we've been talking about discipleship, about following Jesus. And often, we've made our spiritual lives our religious lives, and especially our churches, about success. That is, we want to have the most successful programs. We want to have the best approaches to discipleship. We want to have the proven best strategies. We don't want to let anything go to waste, and we want to be the best we can be right now. And yet, good recognizes that everything in life that matters takes time. And when I take a step back and think about the way of Jesus, it is often down instead of up. Sometimes I think that we've fundamentally inserted a word into what we call the the Great Commission, which is about making disciples, helping people become followers or, or, or practicers of a way of life. But the word that we often insert is more, And we can become so focused on this, that for many, the entire Christian life is all about just doing more. Do you know what I mean? We know some, or maybe we've been this way, where I always have to do more, I always have to be more, there's more I need to do, I'm just not enough. And the whole point of being Christian is just going out to all the corners of the world and just getting more people to sign up on the sheet. But when you remember that often the invitation from God is to be present and aware of the good and the beautiful, then we go away from thinking of our own lives or our churches or our spiritual lives in terms of how successful they are, and instead, we see them in terms of how faithful we are. Faithful to recognize and to be present to those elements of our life and our world and our family that are good and are beautiful. You see, God created both the light and the darkness. Both belong and both are good. And so as we conclude this season on following Jesus, I want to extend an invitation to you Uh, to to pause for a minute and instead of um, considering or worrying about what it is that you need to do to achieve your uh, perfect, successful discipleship, what might it look like for you to take note of the things in your life, in the world around you, that are good and are beautiful? And how might you practice faithfulness to the good news of God by celebrating those things by nurturing those things by sharing those things by practicing those things teshuva teshuva is a way of recognizing that brokenness doesn't get to define us And it's a way of regularly, every single day, being able to return and embody and practice things that are good. And when I think about what I would desire to see in people who are following Jesus, it would be precisely that. Not those driven by perfection, so that we always read the perfect passage, we always memorized the verse, we always took notes during the sermon. But rather those who are concretely aware of the ways that God is being good and beautiful through us and through our friends and our family and through creation. I think that is a life worth living. I think it's a life worth sharing. And I think it can be quite inspiring if only you're willing to accept it and embody it. So.